Mazda Australia will soon have seven, maybe even 10 SUVs in its lineup while keeping every other model it currently offers. Are they mental? Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 205, Has Mazda Gone Mad? Um, I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me in analysing this amazing new model onslaught, Senior Journalist Richard. Oh, hello. And Cars Guide's newest contributing journalist, Mr. Tim Nicholson. Welcome, Tim. Hello, thank you. <laughs> we'll also look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, if you want to plot your own adventure, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below, and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's break down Mazda's monster SUV push. And to kick it off, what I've tried to do is make a summary of the landscape that we're potentially looking at um, over the next couple of years. Um, I think we've documented it on the site, uh, certainly, and we've talked about it in the podcast previously, that Mazda's putting on a bit of a push to go into a more premium space. But we do know that they're going to keep some of their more economy-focused models, um, Mazda 2 and CX-3. So CX-3 hangs around. Um, There'll be CX-30, MX-30. Globally, there's a CX-4, which is a Chinese-made and domestic market-only SUV, a a two-row SUV. CX-5, of course, is a huge model for Mazda in Australia. Um, CX-50, which we'll talk about in a minute, is actually a US-only, but it's a a variation, like a a more coupe-style version of the CX-5. Then there'll be CX-60, 70, 80, and 90 uh, with Skyactiv X petrol and Skyactiv D diesel inline six engines on the much vaunted uh, rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive platform with CX-8 and CX-9 still hanging around. So that is a heck of a lot of product for Mazda to grapple with, dealers to deal with, and consumers to try and get their head around. What do, what do you guys make of it? Tim Nicholson, I, I think it's, what do you think? It's ridiculous. They've got nuts. It's absolutely bonkers, but um, it, it's interesting for a number of reasons. Mazda, like globally, is not a huge player, you know? Yeah. They're not like a Toyota or Hyundai group or anything like that. They're kind of yep. like a relative minnow. Yeah. Um, so to have this kind of onslaught, it's like, huh? What? Well, it, it causes you to think Mazda is number two in the marketplace, but it's, it's you know, Toyota is just so super dominant. It, it swamps everybody else in terms of its market share. Is this a push about gaining some more market share whilst going a little more premium and, and keeping the, the margin on the sales? Or are they just going to cannibalize the, the cars that they have in market and there has to be some kind of, rationalization at some point what do you say richard i think i think you're right i think they're going to cannibalize their own sales they're going to shoot themselves not just in the foot but in the head um i think right okay you take take you've got to take a look at what uh toyota is doing now we did a, a story you know recently i think we covered in the podcast as well and we asked sean hanley the you know yep. vp of marketing sales does toyota have too many suvs and he came back with the perfect pr answer and that was you can never have too many SUVs, Richard, but we know you can. But the reason why Toyota can get away with it is because they're not dividing their SUVs up into, you know, CXs and Cs. So they've got, you know, you've got your Prado, yes. you've got your Land Cruiser, 
you've got your rev you've got your chr yes you've got your toyota cross which is coming out um yeah. but they don't seem to be encroaching on each other's territory that's now, true. And the, the one that seems surplus to requirements must be Fortuna, though. It's it's not exactly yes. setting the world on fire. It's the only one, it's the only Toyota which doesn't sell like hot cakes. Um, yes. And I asked them if they're going to exit, and they're not, because it actually still feels a, feels a gap between Prado okay. and Kluger. Yep. Um, now, we're watching Audi make the same mistake, and we've watched them do it over the years, where they've brought out these coupe versions of their, of the, yep. their current models. I don't think it's going to work for... For Mazda, um, I'm predicting that people are going to move away from yeah. probably private ownership of vehicles, um, and I don't think it's going to do anything for uh, them. That's an interesting so, one. It's mm, interesting you mm. draw the the comparison with Audi because there is a similarity too, to my mind anyway, mm. that a lot of Audis were suffering from that, gee, they all look the same syndrome. Mm-hmm. And much and all, as I th- I'm in the camp that says modern Mazdas look good. I th- I'm I totally like the Kodo. Um, design, design direction mm. but there's a lot of that going on now with extra variants coming there they are all going to look very very similar i don't know whether that's good for the brand it's interesting because i think from a consumer perspective how are they not going to be confused yeah. you know looking at the mazda lineup going to their website in a few years time when all these models are here yes mm. won't the consumer like we're lucky we know a lot about the industry and what where models sit and all that kind of stuff but won't they yep. be like how many three-row SUVs? Which one, which one should I have? Maybe I'll just go to Toyota because I kind of know what they're doing. Yeah, good point. I mean, I suppose that is the job of the retailer. If they've got someone that's made some kind of contact, then they've got to make it mm. simple uh, yeah. for, for people to buy a car. Um, and, yeah. It's, who, who, it, sorry. It's, it's also about shelf space. So Ford yeah. Ford's marketing people have spoken to me about this before as well. And, it's not just about selling a lot of a particular model. It's just having a model there yes. if people want it. Yes, so yes. If you imagine, uh, you know, the car market as a supermarket, um, in the same way that Cadbury used to just have your dark chocolate and your milk chocolate, and now they've yep. got your marvellous creations, they've got caramilk, they've got everything. This What's is what Mazda's doing. This is the caramilk. Which, oh, which brands are in the deep freeze, Richard? Which ones are in the, in the coolers <laughs> and the freezer section of the supermarket? Exactly. Tim Tams. Exactly. <laughs> See, so look, the Tim Tam thing works. Tia Maria Tim Tams, right? So look, Mazda are going down that route. Um, yeah. And, you know, it might work, but I just, I just don't think that it's the same as a Tim Tam. <laughs> The, the, the thing to consider also is, and this is why I'm sus, you know, suspecting that a rationalisation must happen, is because your complexity of stockholding becomes unmanageable. You know, mm. if, if you've got a customer coming in saying, mm, I like that CX60 and I want it in brown with the red letter and, okay, well, we just don't have that in stock because you cannot have a stockholding. So that's going to be three months. We'll build it for you and then get, oh, well, I'll just go down the road and buy a uh, buy something else because I want a new car now. Um, so to have that um, flow and availability of cars is difficult the more complex you make your model range. I think we saw that as well with um, Jaguar Land Rover looking at a more premium brand. Remember not that long ago, mm-hmm. their lineups for um, each um, model line were yep. bonkers. It was, it was like much. a Sudoku. It was, it, you had to, to get to get your right engine and body together. It was like a mathematical puzzle. Yes. It was wild. And yeah. 
finally kind of reeled it in, in some cases, probably too much. I think there's only one variant of the XE, which is one of the best things that they sell, okay. um, left in their in model range. But they've yeah. certainly rationalised. A lot of other mobs have. But Mazda have always kind of said, you know, we want to give our buyers choice. What's wrong with choice? And it's like, well, yeah. I, I get that. But sometimes choice is overwhelming to a buyer. So well, that's that's why to just labour Richard's supermarket analogy. That's why Aldi has been so successful. Yep. You know, you you don't try and please everybody all the time. There's one brand of laundry detergent. There's one brand, and people right. like that, and it's it's affordable and it's good quality and all that. So there's a lot to be said for that kind of simplicity, I suppose. I think Tesla's got the right idea, and I, I don't think I've ever uttered that sentence before. Whereas you can, you pretty much get the same car in different sizes, and then you can just get that car with different power yep. plants or or you know um, yes. levels of power. Um, but Mazda's doing the opposite, where they're making multiple versions <laughs> of the same thing. I mean, well, imagine. Let's, let's- the production Sorry, line. Imagine the oh, production no. line oh. process. That's well, that's a great point. It. That's a great point. You, you, mm. you know, the logistics of ah. running of running the sausage factories that that pump these cars out, and to have such complexity at that end of the whole chain is is mind boggling. Especially uh, if we're having concerns at the moment just because a tiny little computer chip is in short supply. Um, like, yes. what the heck is you know? Just times that by fifty, Mazda. Like they're a glutton yeah, for is punishment. Is that the computer chip that you slot into the back <laughs> of your uh, your skull each morning? Really? <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, you don't want to get the old one. I got put put last year's one in. Yes, oh, that faulty. Oh, there was a glitch. Yeah. There was a glitch. I think there was. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's let's investigate a couple of these cars a little more closely. Mm. Um, they are interesting, and much and all, as we know at this point anyway, the CX fifty isn't going to come here. Uh, it's an interesting car. So it is that more coupe style mm-hmm. and it's it's going to be focused very much on the US, uh, but it's it's got a, a slightly more modern and, uh, dare we say, fashionable front end. That's that's Chesto's word. He, uh, he authored uh, a story during the week and it will have what's been described as enhanced all-wheel drive capabilities. So still not saying four-wheel drive, but saying all-wheel drive. Tim, have you kept your your eyes and ears on on this model? Do you know much about CX fifty? It's really interesting with this whole um, announcement. Mazda's um, had a very strange kind of release explaining everything at once, like exactly okay. what's coming out and yep. all that kind of thing, which was quite yep. confusing. Like I had to read it a few times. Like we've been doing this job for a while. You kind of learn to read through the BS. Yes, but it was like. You're doing what now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I often read things given... one word at a time and then it starts to flow a lot better. You use your, fi- but use your finger as well. Going it is going. Sound yeah, it out, it's... JC. Sound it out. Yeah, that's it. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. But it's it, they have actually haven't given a huge amount of information away. So a, a lot of it's kind of guesswork at the moment. And I think Chesto got um, um, some great information in, in that story. We know it's going to be based on the CX-30, but yep. the CX-30 is kind of already a swoopy SUV, I would argue. Yes. So I'm still a bit confused about how the CX-50 is going to work in America also because th- they tend to like a larger SUV. This is in the what they're calling the small product group. So it's not going to be, certainly not going to be bigger than a CX-5. Um, sure. And what's interesting about this is in their announcement, they talk about the models being, you know, for Japan, Europe, and North America. The CX-50 very specifically says just USA. Just USA. No Canada, and no Mexico. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's going, to be, it's going to be built there. 
Um, yep. As far as I'm aware, I did make a note of that. Yep. Um, 650, it's going to be US only, and it's joint Mazda Toyota plant in Huntsville, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I did clarify this as well with um, uh, the uh, head of marketing for Mazda Australia. So that uh, I, I thought that might have been like a joint venture vehicle between Right, Mazda and Toyota. It's, it's, just, it's just the plant. Purely a Mazda vehicle. It's just yes. the plant. Exactly. See, this yes. is the, this is the issue: is that they don't have enough plants for cars now, and they're having to rent other manufacturers' <laughs> plants. Yeah, is, is that a plant-based car, Richard? Some kind of vegan? Yes, like a like a plant plant based burger. And yes. plants to make the cars. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Um, well, that's so. That's interesting from a where it fits into the puzzle point of view. But I suppose the one that's even more uh, relevant is being confirmed for Australia, which is the CX60. Now it's a two-row uh, mm. SUV, so five seat, presumably. Um, and before the end of 2022 in Australia, and this is this new platform that is focused more on rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive. Uh, potential for a plug-in hybrid, um, all kinds of things uh, coming with this one, not least of which being inline six-cylinder engines. Uh, what's what's your mail on on this car, Tim? Well, I think this is going to be more CX-5 size, but more of that swoopy kind of situation. And I think if you right. look at the current CX-5, it's still a good-looking thing, but compare it to, you know, a CX-30 or something, and it looks like a very traditional kind of boxy. Gotcha for want of a better term, um, SUV. So I think this is um, that kind of swoopier looking coupe style, for want of a better term. Right. But it is also Mazda's first uh, foot in that moving into premium kind of situation, which they've been talking about for a few years now. So this is the first evidence of that that we're going to see. Right. Um, so I, look, I think they're already kind of halfway there with some of their positioning. And I think the brand... Uh, the impression that Australians have of the brand is a little bit maybe above a Hyundai and a Kia and that kind of thing. So they're kind of sure. already pushing into sure. that. So I don't think it's going to be maybe a huge leap for them to release this model. It's going to have higher price. It's going to have more, you know, possibly premium yep. um, materials in the cabin and these new powertrains that um, could be quite exciting. It's, it's interesting. I think, Tim, you made the point earlier that, you know, in the US, Mazda is not a mainstream or a, or a high-profile brand. It's a it's a relatively minor player. And I don't know you, about you, Richard, but when I've been to the States and various ones, particularly uh, at Hyundai and, and some of the other big brands in the US, want to know about Mazda in Australia. What is it that makes Mazda in Australia successful? It's this um, strange combination. And I say, look, they've been there for a long, been in Australia for a long time, and they have a great retail network. And they yeah. and they they do the job very well in terms of after sale, and they have a lot of loyal customers. and And I suppose they are well positioned to use that as a platform to push into a, a slightly more premium space in this market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Japanese car making uh, industry in Australia has been huge, um, and that sort of came in in the sixties when compact cars became more and more popular and people didn't want to drive enormous galaxies and fairlanes, which are coming out from you know Australian made and also from the states. Um, yeah. You know, you had the Toyota Tiara come in, and then that led the way for this, um, you know, this this loyalty and trust for for Japanese cars. And America never actually really had that. So mm. we, to this day, we still get a whole lot of cars they don't, um, Mazda's included. Um, one of the things I want to know though is that does this push into SUVs mean that the Mazda Six Wagon will be axed? Does this mean uh, that um, Mazda Three's days are limited? Um, yeah. I certainly think that. Um, Mazda 
too. And even though we know that, you know, the CX3 isn't, you know, for the chopping block, I think they've got a chopping block. They just haven't brought it over yet. Um, well, uh, Tim, so. you had a conversation with a senior person at NASDAQ Australia. Fill us in on, on what you learned from that. Look, officially they're committed to those models, but mm, yeah. um, it very much sounded like for the time being. Like yes. now, these models are completely safe. Um, you know, they'll live on for a while. And I think just quickly going back to the SUVs, so your CX-5, CX-8, CX-9, yep. um, you know, we'll probably see more updates for those in the next few years, but it'll be yep. the existing models. Beyond yep. that, they, they're not kind of giving anything away. And it was interesting because I pressed them on that um, and I said, you know, why have we not heard about next generation CX-5, CX-8, CX-9? There's been no announcements about that. And he said... Well, yes, but there were no announcements about the CX60, 70, 80, <laughs> yeah, 90 until then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, fair point. which is a fair point. But um, you're totally right, Richard. I think certainly those smaller models, I mean, we know now that the CX3 is actually being discontinued in America. So they don't see that model as being necessary there. Yep, that's, that's um, gone. And the two is the entry-level model. It's, I think it costs 24 grand for the cheapest one or maybe a yep. little bit more now. They, they certainly went a little bit upmarket with the pricing. But, but does that kind of entry light hatchback have a place in the new premium Mazda? Well, that's, that's, where, that's where your MGs of this world start to come in and, and fill the gap underneath. And Mazda Absolutely. Goes, okay, you're welcome. Um, we'll, we'll go into a slightly more profitable territory. Volume may not be the, the, the big deal that it once was. We want to increase our profit margin on, on each car we sell, you know. Um, now, let, let's, let's also talk about the other couple that are in prospect. In your conversation with Mazda, Tim, uh, you were able to confirm that there are two others, and I want to say they are the CX-70, which is, again, a five-seat vehicle, but yes. it's more mid-size. It's a possibility there's a business case being worked on to see whether it stacks up. But it's a wide, wider body. Um, and it's, again, the rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, to the point where it probably won't be sold in European markets because it's just too big to, to go in some of the streets and parking spaces that are, that are typical in European countries. Is that uh, a correct interpretation? Look, I kind of asked about... Um particularly the CX-80 and CX-90, but also the CX-70, which you write, is the wide body. So wide body is CX-70 and CX-90. 90, 90. yeah. And CX-80 is not wide body, but it's three rows. So confusing. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of said, I was asking about that because in my mind, I'm like, okay, CX-90, that sounds like it's big already. The CX-9 is quite a, a decent sized car. Sure. Um, so I was, and because it was kind of for the North American market, I was like, is this going to be like a Chevy Suburban size? And he's like, absolutely not. So it's not mm. going to be anything like those very specific American market, enormous mm. SUVs, but yes. um, we can expect those models to be bigger than what we're currently seeing with the CX-8 and CX-9. Right. Um, it's not going to be a barge, I don't think, but it's absolutely those those two will be bigger than um, the, the current CX-8 and CX-9. Right, and they're both seven-seaters at least, the, the 80 and 90. The, uh, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> See, this is, it's so confusing. Yes, the uh, 80 and 90 are three rows. Yeah. And, I've, and I've that, got a newsflash. Oh, I've got newsflash. I've just gone to the Australian government's IP Australia website, and Mazda has also trademarked CX20. Wow! Yes, and that is it is yep for until twenty twenty nine. Wow! Wow! There you go. They're all they're all over it. 
That's very good intel. Give, well done. Give, give me another one. Give me another one. Just, 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 just said, should we look up CX? <laughs> well, hang on, Mike. The CX ninety. Is that have they already C- got that? CX one ninety. CX one twenty. Yeah, CX twenty. What about oh. CX CX one? No. no, no. There's going to be no CX. No, no. They've got a CX one. Oh, hang what? on. It's, it's lapsed. And it's and it's not been accepted. So everybody out there, if you want to get into a CX one, just you can grab CX one and own it. Well, should we try? It, they, what should we try? CX one hundred. Give it a go. Yeah. Go for it. I know they get excited and they do tend to trademark everything. 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 Just in case. Well, it's true. Um, and in fact, it's similar commercially with URLs. I know a lot of companies uh, mm. capture and own URLs that are wrong, so that yeah. when you've misspelt their name. You still go to their website. <laughs> there's um, no, there's no CX100. Oh, very good. But yeah, there's okay. a CX20. Now, mm. what I was going to say was, I suppose Sorry. more than anywhere else, the 70, 80, 90 puts pressure on the existing CX8 and CX9. And Tim, to your point, mm. when we're told, oh, for the time being, that's a classic. How long is a piece of string statement, isn't it? You know, um, the time being could be the rest of this week. Or, or a few years. Did you get any real feel as to what that meant or was it just as it, as it appears? It kind of is a bit as it appears, but okay. he did say that there is room for these new premium models and the existing mainstream wow. lines. Okay. okay. So whether we're going to see Mazda, you know, completely go all in on premium or if they're going to keep their toe in those more mainstream models like yep. cx5 has got such a good name why would you get rid of a brand mm. like cx5 mm. specifically yep. cx9 and 8 less so cx5 globally is such a popular model so yeah um I, I, it's really interesting my my feeling is that some of these models will disappear yeah um the, the original models that we've got at the moment but some will kind of stay on that's that's my gut feeling for the moment but cx10 cool. yeah. cx10 is there there's a cx10 registered by mazda yeah okay interesting interesting it's a motorbike this oh, yeah that'd be good Mazda motorcycles, that's a bigger well, story altogether. Yes. Well, Toyota makes sewing machines. Be- <laughs> All right. Now, I think it would, be, it would be great if our listeners and viewers told us, A, what they make of all this, and B, what would they cull? You know, by the sound yes. of these, these larger um, rear-wheel, all-wheel drive, inline six-cylinder engines, would you still be looking towards a CX-8, CX-9, or should they say goodbye and uh, we go with these, these new and uh, glamorous models? Um, that. Sorry, Richard, were you going to say something? I was going to say, bring back the CX-7. What's wrong with that? CX-7. Yes, well, it would wow. still be the in yeah. the locker room. You know, you can bring it that out be. at some point. <laughs> They've, uh, they'd still have rights to that one, I'm sure. So it would be uh, great to get people's feedback. And th- thank you, Tim. And thank you, Richard, for that discussion. That was, that was very good. Now, hmm. we are going to move to our very own garage. And yes. for the second week running, we're back driving cars. Um uh, Tim, you're in Victoria, in Australia. Richard and I are in New South Wales, and we're we're at liberty now to start moving about a little more freely. And Richard, could I mm. start with you, please? You have been in a car. It's not a Mazda, and no. it's not an SUV. Tell us what you've been driving, please. No, yes, I've been doing a family review, and I've been doing a family review on a Ute because Utes these days are becoming those any every everyone any car. Uh, you don't just have to be a tradie or have an adventurous lifestyle to have one. Um, and I sought out to find out whether a, a ute was a good family car. Um, and look, the, the ute I tested was the Nissan Navara STX, the, yep. the 
the dual cab. It's a four-wheel drive. You can also get it in two-wheel drive. $58,270 is the price tag. It's not cheap. Um, you could get a damn good SUV for that. Uh, and what I found yeah. out was, was this. Uh, things that don't make it a good family car. It's, it's too high off the ground. I've got a six-year-old and he can't, uh, he has trouble getting in and trouble getting out. And that's because the handhold is, it's for adults and it's adults. Up, on the, up on the roof and he can't reach up. So he grabs onto oh. the seat and slides off like, you know, a dramatic scene out of a movie. Uh. Um, <laughs> right. Another reason is, is that where do you put your shopping? So you've got, if yes. you've got kids in the car, do you pack the shopping bags around their legs um, or do you put it in the tray and then get home and then everything's just a milkshake in the back? Um, yeah. That's an issue. Uh, but good points are, is that if, you, if you're carrying dirty, smelly things all the time. As you um, often like, do. Yes. I do. I do. I like, I, like, I like a little bit of work in the garden. So I'm carrying like, I picked up some compost and I was carrying a whippersnipper. And, you know, if you go for a trip to the beach, do you really want to have, you know, sand in the boot of your SUV? So it's great for that. But yes. it, so there's a compromise here. Um, at the same time, I found it as easy to drive as an SUV. So like, I really found no difference between driving that Navara and driving, say, a Nissan Pathfinder. It's the All same right. sort of height. Uh, the engine is quite smooth. I actually found it really, really easy to drive. I just found in terms of practicality for a family, the storage space wasn't as good. And yeah, no boot. That's a bit of a, um, bit of a question problem. without notice, Richard. Would that mm. have coils at the back of it? It does. It yes. does have okay. coils all around. So okay. the ride, the, the ride is actually really good. It's it's not as nice as say a Ranger, you, yep. uh, but it's not as firm and um, hard as a, as a Hilux. I think yep. a Hilux yep. Ute would just be a deal breaker in terms of that ride for a family. I think right. the Ranger when, when it's unladen. Yeah, when it's unladen. Yes. yes. And look, I suppose that is there an accessory opportunity here where you've got some oh, yeah. kind of very slick divider that <clears> allows <throat> you to compartmentalize your tray yep. so that putting yep. the groceries in is easier, and then you shut <clears> your tonneau <throat> and off yep. you go. Absolutely, there's there's all sorts of aftermarket and genuine parts accessories that you can get for you know dividing up your you know okay, the cool. tub in the back. So yeah. yeah, look, if you were going to be using it as a as a family car, you would absolutely have to get dividers for the back there. Plus like a lockable cover as well. Otherwise, yes, people yes. are just going to nick your stuff or it's going to get rained on. So those well, are the one, issues. One of those dividers could be very handy for your son. You know, if, yes. if, you, if he finds it tough to get in and out, just put yes. him in one of those and shut the tonneau down. <laughs> and, he, and he's also dirty and stinky. So he's perfect for the back. He meets so, all the criteria. Exactly. So, yeah, look, is it a good family car? For the right family, it is. If you're a yeah. family that goes camping or fishing and all these types of you know adventurous activities, it absolutely is. It's safe um, and it's easy to drive. But if you're a family who's slicking it in the city, yeah. I'd say go the SUV. Don't be tempted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's a substantial size to boot. You know, so if Ooh, you are in the yeah. city, you've got to you've got to navigate around in it. Yeah, it's it's more than five meters long. So you know, we're talking about a CX nine. I think a CX nine is like four point nine nine meters long. It's bigger than that. Um, and so parking is a problem. And anyone that's ever owned a ute before uh, would, has probably got a dent in the back of it because, right. you know, it's, it's very difficult to judge where the end of your tailgate is, even though it, it seems quite obvious, uh, wow. which why, is why you need that reversing camera so, so much. My, so. my first car, 1971 HG Belmont ute. Yep. Wow. Yep. What, a, what a car that was. Yep. I wish I'd, well, I'd had to sell it. But anyway. <laughs> okay. That's yes. brilliant. Thank you. There you go. Oh. 
So oh, can I just say that I, I, around the corner, the, the somebody owns a um, the facelifted Navara, and I think it's the STX, and it's in black. Mm. I think they've done a really good yep. job with the facelift. It looks. I think that's what it should have looked like when they launched this generation. What was it, five or six years ago? Yes, because there's been so many updates, and now they've finally got the design right. I think it looks really good. They've cool. got everything right apart from the wheels. And if you're watching on YouTube. Right. We'll have a picture of the wheels going up behind us. They're the worst wheels I think ever invented, ever since the invention of the wheel. I'd, they'd wow. be the very first thing I'd change. I'd actually say, look, I'll buy it, but I want the the grade below its wheels because the STX's wheels are terrible. That'd be that'd be a good name for a magazine, Worst Wheels. Worst <laughs> right. Wheels. Now, um, <laughs> yes, it would. It would. Now, uh, thank you, Richard. That's brilliant. And Tim, moving to yourself, we're on topic uh, in terms of the car that you find yourself in, fill us in, please. This is correct. Yes, it is another Mazda we are talking about. Um, <laughs> so I've had, because of the lockdown here, which um, excitingly ends today. <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Um, you get to go out and uh, party? I, 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 <laughs> it's funny. We can't even get a, a, a restaurant booking tonight. So we are still wow. at home tonight, which is very sad. But, that's but okay. just a bit of circle work in the uh, in the Mazda before you <laughs> Pretty get Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I somehow don't think this one will be capable of it. It's um, okay. We're talking about the, the MX-30 <laughs> and it is the G20e, which is the mild hybrid version of the, yep. the MX-30. Obviously, it comes in um, full battery electric vehicle guys as well. Yep. Um, Look, it's an interesting car that, you know, MX, uh, they tell us, stands for Mazda Experiment. So the MX-5, the MS, mm. MX-6 that came before it. Um, so this is another experimental vehicle from Mazda. Does it work? I'm not right. super sure it does. Um, it's got, uh, so it's technically a four-door, but the two rear doors are those uh, freestyle doors that go out the opposite direction. Yep. Um, there's a lot of frustrations with this car. My partner and I have some a number of frustrations with it. You can't open those rear doors without opening the front door. That's uh, it. Um, yeah. It's terrible. Like, you know, we don't have kids or a dog or anything, but I, I also, I do like practicality. So I, I, yep. I personally prefer just four normal doors. Um and, and you can't wind you, the windows down in those doors. You certainly can't. And the windows, James, they, they are tiny. Yeah. Like if you yeah. get in the rear seat and yeah. close the door, it's like you're in a dark room. It's like um, a deep sea submersible. Like the windows have to be small because of the oh. pressure. Yes. <laughs> or something when you're underwater. It's, it's maybe, maybe you could go under the ocean. Maybe that's what in it's it. for. Yeah. Maybe it should go under the ocean. No, I shouldn't say that. Look. Ooh, oh, that's Tim that's Nicholson. Jeez. Look, okay, so there's <laughs> to the car. There's like, the doors. Yeah, well, a lot. To, there's other things like I love the kind of the cute circular Ferrari like tail lights, and they do this yeah, cool. slow blink. The indicator does this really lovely kind of retro Probably. kind of thing. Okay, the design is different. At least it looks like nothing else. Mm. Mm. Um, I love inside. There's some great use of recycled materials. They've really focused on um, like there's this mm. felt like material that's made from PET recycled bottles. Mm. Um, there's cork throughout, which Mazda started as a cork manufacturer. Back oh, so very handy, hand. very handy for pinning things too. Right. <laughs> yes, and flotation. <laughs> exactly goes to the theory. Yes, this is an underwater vessel. Yes, yeah. it's on the way. But it's just the practicality for me. It, it really kind of just doesn't get there. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we've talked about uh, mild hybrid powertrains before. I'm a bit sketchy on it being yep. called a hybrid. It's hybrid just a at all. Battery. I agree. Agree. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at, this has got the two-liter engine, um, the uh, 
four-cylinder um, thing that's also in the CX-30. So it's related to the CX-30. So the difference in fuel use between the CX-30 and this mild hybrid is 0.1 litres. So right. it's right. negligible. You're not really doing yourself any favours or the environment. And for me, the CX-30 is such a good car that I can sure. I really can't fault the CX-30. Why would you not just buy that? That's an, it's an mm. interesting point, and I think you've been very diplomatic in raising the experimental thing. So, uh, okay, uh, having a crack and whether or not it's worked. But the other thing that I've found from memory was that um, that centre console in the front, there's not a lot of room to put things. I think it's like a flying buttress and there's some room underneath. Is that right? But it's That's quite correct. awkward to get to. You're plugging yep. in cables down oh. under there as well, and it's all just a bit of a pain. That, it that, looks cool, yeah. but you're totally right. Every time I go and put my cord in, you've got to reach quite far around yeah. and it's really awkward to get in. And and it's, it's, yeah. it's on the, our passenger side because it's sort of the, the one that works for your media is on the other side, which makes it doubly awkward. Just little details like that. What, what I want to know is, yeah. is, 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 sorry, but the, if, if, if MX stands for Mazda Experimental, then surely the MX-5 has passed the experimental phase. When are they going to take the, the, the X out of it then? It's a five out of five. I mean, it's, it's not been, even an experiment anymore. I just said it's been around longer than any other model in, in their sit in their range. <laughs> yeah. It's not exper- a very good point. What? what the, right. We need to All ask All right. Them. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jim. That's good. Um, an experiment that, um, yes, may or may not have succeeded. Thank you. And I'll finish things off. I've been in, not for very long, I've only had it for a, a day and a half or so, but the Kia Cerato GT, Ooh. and it's a hatch. There is a sedan version, and it's 35, just over $35,000 before you put it in the, uh, on the road. And remember that price because I think it's not bad. Um, 1.6-litre turbo petrol four, seven-speed dual-clutch auto on its front-wheel drive. 150 kilowatts, which is pretty handy. But mm. it, the peak arrives way up at 6,000 RPM. So I'm not sure what shape the curve takes, but to get to the peak, you're pretty high up there in the rev range. Mm. But 265 newton meters of torque at 1,500. Yeah. So you've got plenty of pulling power um, down low. It's 4.5 meters long, so it's reasonably compact. 1.4 tons, strut front, multi-link rear suspension, runs on 18s. And the pluses for me, I found it really nippy, quite an urgent car to drive. It, that talk, that talk um, Kia claims zero to 100 in seven or less than seven seconds, which is pretty rapid um, for, for a car like that. The DCG, the, sorry, the dual clutch is nice and snappy. Um, it feels balanced. And just from an aesthetic point of view, the seats in there are really cool. They've got that thin horizontal ribbing that's reminiscent of a 60s or 70s Ferrari, you know, really mm. nice. Lots of rear room I found in a relatively compact car and it's super well equipped. Like it's leather appointed seats and um, LED lights and the 18 inch alloys and the air con, like the dual zone climate and electric driver's seat, all that stuff. So, and it goes on and on and on. There's a mm. lot of safety gear in there as well. So for a $35,000 sporty hatch, I think it's reasonable in terms of the ask. Yeah. Um, and then the, the minuses I had that the price you pay is a firmish ride. Like it is yeah. quite firm in its ride. And in a better mm. sorted car, I'd argue you can still have the dynamic response and have a good ride. It's where things tend to run out of steam. Anyone can make a car handle well, and it can be just like a, a car to, to drive. Yeah. Um, and this one is a little bit on the firm side. Mm. And I think the steering feel could be better. 
Um, that's just a, a, a little bugbear of mine. Um, and I think the sedan looks better than the hatch, just sub subjectively. Uh, the sedan is a really sleek looking thing. And it's in comps, you know, competition with things like um, a Mazda 3, but the GT version. Yeah, yeah. Um, a Golf R line, a Focus ST, or it's actually in between Focus ST line and ST in terms of its price and a Corolla ZR and whatever. And I, I know, Richard, you've got a lot of experience with this car because you did a, a comparison test with it. And several others. What what do you make of that assessment? Are you on board or yeah? Uh... No, no, no. Yeah, I I, I love the um, Serato GT. I think in terms of value for money and the and the you know the output and the way it handles is fantastic. Um, it's pretty much the same car as the i30 N line. Um, yep. and that's that's a classic example of how two companies which are so closely related and get access mm. to the same hardware have done things a little bit differently because the i30 has a bit more of a suppler ride, a softer ride. Ah, okay. So you can live with that car daily better than you can with that Serato GT, which is a bit more yep. hardcore. It Still is. the same sort of, you know, car and, and outputs in, in, in your handling, but it's just not as firm. It's easy to live with yep. that i30. Mm. But, but I liked it. It's a ton of fun mm. to drive. Um, yeah. As I say, I haven't, haven't had it long and I'll, I'll go for a bit of a fang, um, you know, on the weekend, but... Um, it's um it's impressive so far, Brilliant. and I think for that for that money, it's not uh, over the odds because it is super well equipped. I won't bore you with the details, but it's got a lot of fruit in mm. terms of safety tech and and features. Absolutely, I've not driven great that car. Serato GT, but um yeah, that I, I totally agree. Which that um, I had the i30 N line just before lockdown here for a couple mm. of weeks, and I loved that. And oh, I came it's beautiful. Away thinking, it's well done, isn't it? Buy that it's well car. Done. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Such a great little thing. Just, yeah. just yeah. enough performance. Yeah. Yep. Just couldn't fault it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's good. They're our opinions. Let's get on to some other people's opinions and uh, check out some of the feedback that we had from last week. And it was specifically around, or most of it was around, uh, the topic of conversation, the main topic last week, which was. A Stephen Otley story uh, on Falcon and Commodore prices and how they've gone through the roof. And in fact, um, any of those locally manufactured cars going stretching way back, but the more recent models and some of the special performance ones. Um, anyhow, Lofty Visions, our old mate Lofty, said, great show again, guys. Thank you. Uh, the bit about JDM cars, we got onto some uh, Japanese market cars that are particularly popular um, here in Australia. Said it made him chuckle. When Lofty Jr.'s gran asked him what he wants for Christmas this year, he calmly told her he was saving up for a car. Gran asked what car and how much was it, thinking he meant a toy car. Lofty Jr. said a Skyline GTR and 100 grand. <laughs> poor, poor old gran nearly spat her teeth out. He says, hashtag aspirations and a smiley face. So... Lofty Jr. has built up quite a profile in this podcast over time. I think he's a, a forthright young, a young man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's very, that's very good. Now, we also talked about when it came to Ford and Holden with the Falcon and Commodore and what have you, we, we got on to a bit of a tangent and talked about reputation for service with Ford as a potential impediment because various ones thought that it wasn't so crash hot. But Peter Croft said, I've had two new Fords since 2013 found the service to be great love the free loan car you just need to book in your service and request a loaner with a bit of nervous a bit of notice and then you get to try the latest puma or escape for a day so he's he's loving that but tgv the very fast train uh came back with an alternate point of view and said it was all fine for him as well but then he got into some argy bargy over e-tags and toll charges 
And it made me think that's a really interesting point. You know, if you've got a loan car, who's going to cover all of that? And it can become a bit of an arm wrestle. And it got to the point with him where it was like a head office discussion about how this was all going to be managed. Um, it ultimately came out to his satisfaction. So it seems as though he, he won the day. And I, I, from memory, uh, he was saying he doesn't even really go on toll roads. It was just about the principle of the thing. Um, and that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of. I love that he was arguing it, even though yeah. it, I, haven't right. I haven't traveled on one, but <laughs> he's a man of the people. Man that's of the my, people. That's my yeah. recollection. I may yeah. have got that wrong, but uh, yeah. yeah. But they need to, like, as long as that's clarified up yeah. front and made mm. very clear, that should not be an issue. And because I've heard some pretty good things about Ford servicing in the last few years, I think they've really upped their game. So yeah. that just yeah. sounds like a bit of a miscommunication. And, and as we said, as we said last week, it takes time for that reputation mm. to diminish yep. and new experiences to create a better, a better experience and reputation. You know, I, I remember probably 2015 or so, um, Ford admitted that they had a culture problem um, with the, with with their dealer network, and um, they underwent a brand new campaign internal campaign to teach their Ford dealers about how to treat customers yeah and they even took us journalists there and that we, we met a dealer who told us what they were going through and how the, the new setup and they had an iPad you know and they tried days. to sell you tried to sell you a car <laughs> I walked out with an escape um, That's it, mate. No, <laughs> no 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 and like over the years and you have seen this change uh, with Ford dealerships they've They've, they've turned things around. But I was going to say, look, it really is a dealer by dealer example. Like even the manufacturers yes. know that there are some yes. dealers that you just don't go to. And there are some so dealers true. that are fantastic, right? Because yeah. they are like little kingdoms. Um, yes. And some dealers are great and some dealers are not so great. Well, the, those, those relationships, you know, if you have a good mm. salesperson that you trust, Mm. Um, and they happen to switch from a Ford dealer to a Mazda dealer, you might mm. just give them a call because you know yep. you, can, you can trust them and they can be so valuable to a retailer because they bring customers with them. Yep. Um, so you're right. We're all individuals and we're all good, bad, and indifferent. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can have the best cultural program in the world, but you're going to have a few slip-ups along the way. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, we get on to Deegan Ellis. He says... Um, Great stuff, guys. Thank you, Deegan. Um, so we think there'll be a difference between Redline sedan and sport wagon prices down the track, question mark. So he's just putting the question. And I looked at some of the trade guides um, that, that we rely on uh, from time to time, mm. and they're already pointing to a 10% premium for the sport wagon. So a, a 2017 VF um, uh, Redline about 10% difference. So it could be relative production volume. You know, there maybe weren't as many sport wagons to begin with, and now mm -hmm. they're a little rarer and more desirable, or just that people want them flat out um, more than they do a sedan. But yeah, so far about 10%. That's um, interesting. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they made less of them, so they would be rarer. Uh, mm. But um, I would have thought that people would have wanted a sedan more than but, a wagon. But, oh, um, I, I love a wagon. I love me, it. Oh, me too. Yeah. And the, the sport wagon is such a handsome vehicle. It is. It was so it beautifully is. done. One of the best resolved wagon designs you could imagine. So, yeah. And you yeah. can change a nappy in the back of it. Of course. Which I've done. Yes. I've done. Yes. Yes. That was on a long trip that you took solo, wasn't it, Richard? You, I you, did. You, I did. I, and, I want, and, I, and I couldn't stop. It was from Sydney to Melbourne. And uh, uh, <laughs> JC. Oh, <nice>. Okay. Now... <laughs> 
we move on to Sukhoi Romantic. And he <laughs> says, when we're talking about future values of these Falcons and Commodores, it's going to be dependent on if they're usable. If we end up going all electric, then these HSVs, which are brutal, in his view, ugly cars characterized by their storming V8 engines, they aren't going to be worth squat. Meanwhile, Lunaz and other companies are converting beautiful classic DB5s and ghosts, et cetera, cars less defined by their engines and more by their looks and making them usable. No one's going to bother doing that with a cartoony HSV. And let me just get to the next piece of feedback as well, because it's on a similar vein. Bertie said, I'm loving the concept of repurposing EV drivetrains from wrecked Teslas and implanting the electric system into classic cars. A Tesla-powered E49 Charger, anyone? And Richard, I think I know where you stand on this. And I yes. can put my hand up and say, I hate it. I hate the idea of electric powertrains into classic cars. Yeah. If, if it was the only way that you could still have these cars, okay, that's a different equation. For me, the beating heart of an Aston Martin DB5 yeah. is that inline six-cylinder engine. And to put an electric... I remember when, was it Prince, one of the royals, the ginger guy, Harry, I think he is, and <laughs> got, got um, married. And yeah. after the, the wedding ceremony, he's driving away in an electric-powered E-Type. Oh, I was just thinking what that is terrible travesty that was. I just want to put a 350 Chev in a Tesla. That's what I want to do. Go the other so way. It's been done. It's been done. <laughs> but, it's, you know, I'm an old dinosaur. But for me, a car, an internal combustion car that was built that way, yeah. the engine is an integral part of the experience. And I, I think it potentially loses something when you put a silent, you know, incredibly efficient environment-friendly thing. But I just don't like it much. Tim, where do you stand on this? I think it's interesting. I think regardless of what happens with emissions regulations in Australia, they're not going to take vehicles that are already in existence off the road. So mm. I think your HSV or whatever, you'll still be able to drive it for quite a while yet. I don't mm. think they're going to be like, sorry, you're off the road. You've got to go off. It has to be electric. It would be a difficult political uh, issue to deal with. I've got but, to say. Tim, yes. but Tim, they'll tax you in your rego. They'll tax oh, you. You'll be yeah. taxed to the hill. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, I'm the same with you guys, though. I don't necessarily love the idea, but it is a huge business. I saw an article recently about modding um, older cars with electric powertrains. I guess a question I would have over that is, um, but this is a question I have, and this is such a boring opinion, but it's about like classic cars and safety. Like, right. Yes. How safe is that vehicle on the road? Just because you put an okay. powertrain in it, you're not improving the safety in any way, shape or form. So no, I don't know. No. Um, leave the cars as they are is probably my opinion. Anyway, that, that's, that, this is one that's bound to fire up a bit of feedback. So oh, please yeah. oh, let yeah. us know what you think of that. Um, anyway, I think I've made my case quite well. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, where are we? We've moved on. And Birdie again uh, came back and said, a second comment, he said, now Stephen Otley was in the podcast last week. He said, I thought I heard Stephen say, the last of the naturally aspirated Chimeras. Then I realised it was Carreras. So <laughs> Stephen was talking about 911s. <laughs> and then and TGB came in and said, hey, those 1.8 litre fuel-injected Chimeras went very well on Unleaded 91 Rock. And oh. Bertie, Bertie came back and said, yeah, the last of them, the two-litre JE, were a great car. <laughs> but by then, the brand damage had been done by the JB's woes. And <laughs> I think funny. they are pretty well documented on the, on the, the first Camiras, um, electrics and the workmanship and, and some of the components just not quite fitting together and 
structural fatigue and the engine had its problems, but great conversation. Yes, the last of the naturally aspirated chimeras. Um, okay, well, look, with that, guys, we have reached the finish what? line. Already? Yes, that's it. And Hang on. I want to, yes, go ahead, Richard. What <laughs> no, would you- it just said so quickly. It was, you know, time, fun, flies, that type of thing. With that, um, we have reached the finish line. Thanks for joining, Tim. And for having me. Thank you. And thank you, Richard. Ah, thank you. And thanks to our knowledge navigator, space consultant, and doorman, Mr. Pritchard, for his dedication to the Cars Guide podcast cause. Uh, today, he's wearing a t shirt saying, I know the voices aren't real, but man, do they come up with some great ideas. Um, <laughs> Creepy clown shorts and Scooby-Doo slippers. <laughs> yes. Incredible outfit, as always. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars is the preferred uh, number. Thank mm. you. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, I was in the car with my family and the conversation somehow got around to self-esteem. And my young daughter said, but daddy, what happens when you look in the mirror and you're ugly? I was immediately concerned and asked her, sweetheart, did someone say something mean to you? To which she said, no, daddy, I'm talking about you. Oh, dear. Uh, was that daughter number one or two? Uh, two. Yeah. 